It's the Ag Ship Podcast. I'm Patrick Mayhorn, creator of the Ag Ship, a credential newsletter covering Utah State football, men's, women's basketball. Uh, you can subscribe, and Olympic sports, I suppose, as well. And you can subscribe at www.theagship.com. There's the $6 or $10 a month tier, as well as yearly tiers. Get you access to all of the written stories, game notebooks, game previews, cover stories, uh, things of that nature, as well as at the $10 tier, the film reviews. I say that because I am... Currently about 4,000 words deep on a ball screen defense article that is still somehow not done. Uh, I've, I've put that much into it, and still I am not done talking about ball screen defense. I've got ball screens on the mind today, probably going to come up as we record. Um, we've got a uh, we've got a, a rare basketball preview show. Preview for one specific game, a pretty big specific game that's happening at the top of the Mountain West uh, tomorrow as we record this on Friday. I'm joined, as always, by co-host Parker Ballantyne. Parker, how's it going? What's up, Patrick? Um, it's going well. We've it's going got... great. We have a big, big one this weekend, so I'm stoked. We do, and uh, to to celebrate the occasion, to really do it justice, we've got another guest. We have a uh, a third mic here this time around to help us talk through this game. Um, friend of the show, longtime friend of the show, somebody who I just really like talking basketball with and wanted to do so in an audio medium here. Uh, Lance Rasmussen, Lance, how's it going? It's going well. It's good to be back on a mic talking about the Aggies. Yeah, do you want to give people a little bit of background on on that? Because I know that this is uh, this is not your first time on the mic talking about the Aggies. Yeah, I uh, so I uh, grew up in Cache Valley, um, and I fell in love with the Aggies. My dad took me to games. Parker and I have very similar stories. I think uh, I just happened to live in the valley um, for my entire life, basically, um, and then from. Uh, the mid 2010s uh i hopped on with uh matt sonnenberg and jeff browning and our uh sound engineer trevor weller who is still working sound for me these days we produced the front row show for a while um which was i one of the other podcasts that has kind of boiled up over the years uh surrounding aggie uh aggie sports um and yeah, I, I spent a lot of time sitting in Section F and yelling things at games. I helped run the second iteration of the student newsletter, the Bangarang, um, and was part of a whole lot of really fun experiences in the spectrum from like 2009 through 2015 uh, when I went off to grad school. And unfortunately, back then, you couldn't really podcast mobily very easily, so it dissolved what we'd put together because we all moved. But it's good to be back now. I'm I'm real excited about it. It's a pretty good time to be at Utah State. That's a, that's you, you, you got to see some pretty got to see some pretty good basketball in that span. Yeah, I uh, I I was in I was ten rows deep on Section F during the famous uh, Mark Fox Nevada ah. uh Williams Brady Jardine moment. Mm. Um, so yeah, some some pretty incredible things that I got to experience back in the day. Well, I'm glad that you can still hear us despite that experience, <laughs> despite what that must have done to your uh, your ears. Um, well, let's jump right in here then. Let's uh, let's Great. let's talk Boise State. Let's talk Utah State. I think probably the best way to start this is with just setting the table, understanding the context of this matchup. Um, it is, it's a big one. It's not just a big one because it's always kind of a big one when these two play. It has really become 
quite the rivalry on the on the hardwood in recent years. Some really, really good games, some really tough losses for Utah State, some tough losses for Boise State. They played three times last year, and two of the games were really, really good and really, you know, competitive throughout the the affair. Um, and they both come into this game with <laughs> the, the strength that you would expect. Uh, they are tied currently atop the Mountain West standings, both of them sitting at 5-1 and one in league play. Um, they, uh, Boise State 14 and five on the year, Utah State 17 and two, obviously. Um, Boise State has really kind of come around recently. This, this was a, this was a Boise State team that struggled to open the season, which is not, uh, extremely rare for, for Boise State. They, they do that sometimes. It takes them a little bit to get going, but they have seemingly, gotten going here. They're four and one in their last five games with some pretty big wins. They beat Colorado State at home, won at Nevada, um, beat San Diego State at home, also took a home loss, surprisingly, to UNLV that snapped it was like a twenty two game home winning streak. Uh four and two in Q one games, which this will be for both teams. Uh Utah State, I think people know the the context generally on Utah State. Um, just on the on the the matchup side of things, on the what it means for the Mountain West side of things, I I will start with. I think I would I would be remiss if I did not say it's cool that Utah State is playing in this kind of game in year one under a new coach with a brand new team. I'll be honest, I didn't think Utah State was going to be playing in this kind of game this season, and that's not to say I didn't think they would have moments where they looked really good and that they couldn't be successful, but. I did not expect a third of the way through the Mountain West season that Utah State would be playing for a chance to hold the lone spot atop the league. Um, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so that's that's a lot better than I think anybody was realistically expecting. And it, it's just I, I I'm struck by the fact that we're talking about this heading into you know the end of January into February that Utah State is still very much in contention and could be alone atop the conference through seven games. Um, are, are, is it still like kind of strange for you guys or have you, have you kind of adjusted to it and understood that like, they're just good They're It's not, it's not weird anymore. They're just good. Um, for me, I gotta say, and like, I, I think a lot of our listeners are going to probably picked up on this and Patrick, you probably have too. I bought into this probably faster than I should have. Um, we, we opened the season like two and one with the win against like a D two school, um, losing to Bradley on the road, which I felt like was a okay loss at the time and is, uh, kind of shaped up to be, and then beating Southern Utah. And I was like that, I mean, like I was, I was sold at that point. I think, um, I've, uh, I've been around this program enough to, uh, at least from, a from a, like a fan standpoint to just buy in very quickly. I, I trust the program. And so I bought in very quickly, but even, even like with that being said, I mean, this is, as you mentioned, like a game that, w- that will determine like the lone spot atop the mountain West. Um, even that I think is a stretch on like what I, I had expected even after some of like, you know, we just kept winning. We lost that Bradley game, game two. Um, and then we just started cruising and it started to felt more and more real. You know, it's, it's felt more and more real. I think that home win against Colorado state was a big moment where a lot of people were finally able to buy in a lot of the people that weren't buying in before, but you still had a lot of people thinking, well, it was a home, you know, they haven't played any tough games on the road. 
Um, those back-to-back games in U- at UNLV and then at the pit with New Mexico were two very tough road games. This is another one, but um, I-, I think at some point, and, and it, you know, I- I'm curious to see what Lance says too about this, because I think at some point for everybody, it just became undeniable that these, these guys are really, really good. Um, like I said, I, I think my, my fandom influenced me a little bit and in, in making me buy in a little bit sooner, but I mean, these guys are, are for real. And I, I think at some point, I don't know that it's deniable anymore. Um, it's just a matter of when you finally did buy into this team. Yeah, I think for me, it's especially interesting giving what happens in the next week in total. Um, because this Boise State game represents, I think, the most achievable road game victory against the top five opponent in the Mountain West Conference for us this season. Um, no one's winning in the pit this year. Like, it's just not someone will, but like no one's winning in the pit this year. And so cycling through the rest of our offerings, we, we still have Boise state, San Diego state and Colorado state on the road on our schedule, but we knock two of those out in the next seven days. Right. Yeah. Which, which means this next seven day period, I think, is the make or break for where the ceiling of this team could possibly be. What's astonishing about this team is we're two losses on the year as a floor almost. Um, and we boy, did we scrape by some of those games. I think we forget sometimes about, I don't know, Sako's insane put back victory layup right yeah. uh because it got <laughs> eclipsed by whatever happened against unlv um but that's still we have not watched this team have everyone clicking on all cylinders for a game yet and boy if there was ever a time for us to show up after i don't know an 11 day break with only one game during that period with the gears greased and ready to go i think it's this boise state game yeah and like even the the san francisco tip in you know preceding that was like max ogbong polo basically saving the akron game with a steal with kind of an accidental Mm -hmm. steal on what should have easily been a breakaway layup um and there are there are several others where you just the st louis game got a little bit a little bit hairy there at the end (laughs) ian martinez santa Santa clara was close too yeah santa clara was i mean santa clara was was the original unlv game it was pretty much the exact same game just with a a slightly better opponent and great awesome playing better um which i guess we we can kind of use the (laughs) the transitive property to figure out exactly how good great awesome needs to be (laughs) for utah state to win (laughs) on the road against a roughly you know top 70 ish team um, is <laughs> pretty good apparently. Um, yeah. but uh, like they they they've done this. They've they've skated by and they've they've won. It doesn't you know ultimately the only number that really matters is the one that goes on the standings, and they've they've won it. Ian Martinez did jump twenty feet in the air to save the ball from going out of bounds at St. Louis, and they won the game. Um, but they it has been kind of not, stop and start wouldn't be the right word because when you're seventeen and two, there's not really been all that many stops but they they've i i think that their strength against like the bottom of the mountain west is 
honestly, maybe more encouraging to me even than some of their performances against the better teams in the league because, like, the win over Colorado State, obviously good that you did that. That's a, that's a big home win. Winning at UNLV, no matter how it happened, is a, is a good road win. Um, but they've really just kind of pulverized the three bad teams in the Mountain West that they've played. They, they did not even look twice at Air Force, Wyoming, or Fresno State, and... Like, you know, Lance, like you said, they didn't, they've not really, we've, we haven't seen a game where like, oh, Ian Martinez is hitting four or five threes. Isaac Johnson is hitting threes. Mason's putting up 15 points. Great's doing the double-double. You know, Darius is playing his, his usual defense and having 10 assists. Like, they've not all, they've not all had their best games at once. Usually two or three guys is enough for them to win the games, and that's about what they're getting. And, you know, you're not going to ever, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm under no impression that like a college basketball team is capable of just producing everybody at their top form every single game they're 21 22 23 years old they're not going to do that but you you could do that at some point it it is possible it is it is imaginable that like with a break they could do that um and, and i think that like you know one of the one of the central questions i had kind of coming into this game is just where are we at with with Utah State with the games that we have seen of of it in the Mountain West specifically, and I I think that's kind of where where I am and and I'm curious with you guys because like I, I I despite how well they have started I do have this sense that they could be still so much better than they already have been and they're five and one in the Mountain West and and you know, contending for the number one spot in the conference through seven games. I still just, like, it seems like there's more, like, way more that they are capable of being and that it's not that hard to see a path to them getting there, basically. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would, I I mean, I would big time agree with that, but I also think, like, with this team, everything is so new. Like, you don't know what this could be. I mean... 19 games, I think, is a good enough sample size to, to say these guys are for real. And I just said, like, I think we've all bought in at this point. Like, I, I certainly have. But, like, something could also click the other way where they might be overperforming right now. Like, I, I don't think that's likely at all. I don't think that's true. But I, I think to your point, like, we just – we don't really know what they could all be. Um, and like Lance was saying, like, I don't know that we've seen really everything come together all at the same time. Uh, and so I do think, you know, I, I would I would tend to agree more with Lance. Like, I think we've seen what the floor is. The ceiling is yet to be determined probably sooner than later, probably in the next seven day period, um, because we really don't know. I mean, there was a, a we've had big wins. We've had close wins. Um, but this is still such a young team, 19 games that this group has played together. I mean, you go to any gym in the country, grab five random guys and that's what this team was at the beginning of the year when they got together for practice. Like there was a couple that had played together, um, but it's, it's still a really new squad, even, you know, well into conference play now. Um, the ceiling is, I think really high, but I don't know where it could be. And I, I think that I'm going to, I'm going to break into a metaphor that was constantly drilled into me by Leslie Brott, who was the head of acting at Utah state's acting program. <laughs> um, she uh, would talk all the time when we would come into work technique in class and she'd be like, you're, you're trying, you're learning to juggle is what you're doing here. And I have one technique, which is how to say the words right. And you're good at throwing that ball. But the instant I throw you the ball of now do something with your hands, you drop both of them. Right. 
because your brain goes, ah, this is more than I'm ready to really deal with. Um, and you can see that that is how this team has progressed through this season, where the first ball they got handled was energy, effort, and defense, right? And they got pretty good at that one. And then they're like, now you need to produce offensively. And they had some struggles trying to keep them both in the air at the same time. But it really seems to me that the coaching staff has been very smart and intentional in layering their progression through this season to the next most optimum thing they need to be learning. Um, and frankly, that gives me a lot of hope. I don't think there is a single player on this team that I cannot say is a better player now than when I saw them at the, be at the beginning of the year. And I also need to remind us, we lost a uh, starting forward. Yeah. Halfway through the season. A good one. Um, a, like a, a, a very yeah, good one. <laughs> an important piece. And we still haven't taken the step back. And I think that's key because it proves how much buy-in and a clean slate really allows the pieces to flow. And if we can have in the next week a lot of those pieces that had been shaky before solidify, I think we're going to really start watching what this team is capable of. Uh, yeah, I, I, no, no I, sorry. Okay. I was just going to say, like, I think one thing that we're almost forgetting or maybe not forgetting, but that we haven't mentioned yet when we talk about like the ceiling of this team and where they could stack up in the conference. Um, this is one of the best Mountain West conferences that we have seen in a long, long time. Yeah. Um, when we are talking about being the best team in the conference, we are not talking about what most people would think of when you think of the top team in a mid-major conference. Um, think back to, was it that, uh, yeah, the 2020 season that ended up getting, uh, the, the postseason was uh, canceled. That championship game was not between two good mid-major teams. Uh, that was against a Utah State team that was probably a very, very good mid-major team against San Diego State, who was one of the best teams in the country. They were a top five team at the time, I think. Um, that is what we're talking about with this mountain West. And I don't know that Utah state is necessarily one of the top five teams in the country. I don't even know that their ceiling is quite that high, um, but we're talking about a legitimate conference that is potentially a six bid league. I think should be a six bid league, depending on how the rest of the season breaks uh, and Utah state leading that pack would be uh, not just good for the mountain West, not just good, you know, for mid major standards. I mean, I think that would put Utah State solidly as one of the top teams in the country. They're already 18 in the AP poll right now. Um, like, I think the narrative at some point shifts. And and like Lance says, probably within the next seven days, uh, is Utah State one of the better teams in the conference or are they one of the better teams in the country? That is a sentence that I thought would never come out of my mouth in the first year of a head coach's tenure. And that is that is wild. Yeah. And, and like with, with, with the, the, you know, the, the layering of, of improvement that they've shown, I, I think, especially just as the full team effort on, on either side of, of adding in new wrinkles of adding in new things that they're able to do. We're, we're seeing that as well on like an individual level, which is, I think a part of what inspires all of this, a probably a big part of what inspires all of this, this potential, optimism is that they are doing more things schematically and as a team they're adding more things into that equation i think the offense has gotten significantly more advanced just in two or three months of playing 
as you would expect, early on, they really only had a couple things that they were doing, and they weren't really even all that good at them. It was mostly just throw the ball into great and hope for the best, and usually he delivered. Um, they're not doing that now. They've added they've added new wrinkles, and a lot of that comes from the improvement of individual guys. Like Mason Foslev has learned to play with his hair on fire without catching the ball on fire. He he it doesn't it's it's not extending to the rest of the the rest of his game. It doesn't you know encompass his entire uh, <laughs> like physical ability that he can't, yeah. he's, he's settled down. He, it's not, he's not out of control really ever anymore offensively. Um, yeah, he looks too much like a football player sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. He was a little, <laughs> a little out of control and that's not been there at all. And so they can add him as a, as a driver. They can add him on the dribble drive into the equation. Ian Martinez is averaging like 18 points a game on the road and has been, up around 15 for like two months now and is seemingly just going to keep hitting tough shots and, and he can do that. And it's not really a big issue. Um, great Osibor continues to develop and there's, there's a million things you can say about him, but the fact that his production hasn't really dropped at all from the transition into conference play tells you that he's better. It tells you that he's better, that he's better even than he was just, a, you know, a couple weeks ago um like these you're seeing these guys add these things offensively you're seeing them add these things defensively I think that even guys who have struggled at times defensively someone who comes to mind is like Isaac Johnson is worlds better now than he was at the beginning of the season and continues to pick up just little extra responsibilities Khalifa Sacco same way uh Javon Jackson same way like they're just getting a little bit more comfortable with everything that they're doing and that's that's I think really kind of what I'm what I'm most interested in heading into this kind of matchup is with the time that they have had away from playing games where they can just prepare for you know I, I think probably the last two or three days have just been preparing for Boise State but a lot of the last eleven days where they only have the one game can be about going back and watching two fairly lackluster performances at UNLV and at New Mexico and figuring out exactly what little things need to be tweaked, what little things need to be fixed, because watching those games back, it was not like, it was, it was not like giant structural, just, you know, there's a hole in the building and (laughs) it's not going to work. It was just little things. It was guys not being quite in the right position. It was guys not knowing exactly how to handle things that they hadn't really seen before or things that they had seen, but not at that speed and stuff that can be pretty quickly, I would think improved upon. And I I think that's going to be really a, you know, kind of the story of this game is how much have those things been improved upon in this time that Utah state has had a way where we haven't seen them, where they've been working behind the scenes, what all is fixed, what all takes longer to fix. Um, And I, I think if, if they're just, you know, if they're just playing solidly, if they're just doing generally the stuff that they have been taught to do and that they know how to do and they're they're ready for the tempo of the game, which probably can stop being a concern at some point because they've seen six of these games now, um, I would I would imagine you got to be feeling pretty good about that. That's that's the progression we've seen so far. I think indicates more progression coming coming down the you know down the pike. Yeah, I'd agree, and and we're getting to the point where it's. Um, I, I'm not sure that we've even seen any setback. Like there's, there's no indication to me that there would be, uh, that this is not just kind of like a linear progression throughout the season. They have not really taken any steps back. They've, uh, they've had times where, like Lance said, where they try to layer in different things and they, they miss a step. Um, but I don't think they've ever taken a step back. 
Um, they've, they've really been able to progress really, really smoothly. And again, from a really, really young team, or at least young in, in the sense that they haven't played together. Um, and to, I think they've, they've progressed pretty linearly and, and have not shown me that they are not capable of continuing to improve. And they've, like you mentioned, they got a lot of time off between their last game, which was, you know, kind of a softer matchup against Fresno state and this one, which hopefully is a good thing. There, there's ideas that it, you know, the, you can get you out of rhythm and stuff. I don't think that's a huge deal. Um, get those, get those legs rested and, and, you know, Danny sprinkles working them hard, I'm sure. So, I, I have no reason to believe that they wouldn't continue to progress coming into this game. Well, I, I am, I obviously have no insider information to let me know whether or not this is true, but the ch- fact that the team was available and rested to be able to watch Boise State's matchup against Fresno State, knowing what we had just done with them, and then seeing exactly what Fresno was able to do to Boise in those moments and the whole team could have eyes on it for four extra days and an entire team scouting as opposed to just one or two assistant coaches bringing a plan to the table and the players picking it up when they can. Like, that's that's very encouraging, especially with the basketball minds that I know are on this team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and I, I think that that's probably a good way to transition into this actual matchup as it stands. Um, Boise State will likely, from what I have seen, this has been the starting lineup of, of late, and I don't imagine it's going to change here. I don't think there were any major injuries or anything like that. Um, I would guess that it's going to be a five-man group of Roddy Anderson third, Max Rice, um, Shibuzo Abo, I think is how you say his name. Yeah, Shibuzo Abo, uh, Tyson Dagenhart, and Omar Stanley. That has been the five for them for the better part of conference play. Um, it's a big group that is, I think, probably the, the most notable thing about just the, the measurables, about the things that you see on the roster. 6'3", uh, 6'5", six, 6'7", six, six, and then two guys up at 6'8". Uh, there is Heft in there as well. Uh, Abo is 226, and then obviously the two guys in the post are big, up over 235 each. Um, the, the, you know, a lot of, I, I think there's a lot of familiarity in general with this lineup. Obviously the three in the spine of it have been there and are pretty much who they, who they have been, um, yeah. some it, seeing a little bit of some down seasons within that group, not for Abo, but Rice and Dagenhart have not been quite what they, I mean, Dagenhart's still been pretty good. Rice has had a bad season. <laughs> Rice has, Rice has struggled. I could just <laughs> say that Rice has struggled. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, as has Anderson as he tries to step into this role. Stanley's been good for them. Um, but but the thing that really stands out is the size, and, and I'm curious where you guys are at with this because I think looking at the usual starting lineup that Utah State goes with, which is Darius Brown, Mason Foss, Levy, and Martinez, Great Osibor, and Isaac Johnson, I think they're probably fine. I, I think that... I'm a little worried about the lack of height in the back end. Uh, you know, six three against six seven as your matchup for Abo is is not not great. I don't feel good about that, even knowing how good of a defender Ian Martinez is. Um, I do wonder if maybe this is a, a matchup where you see Josh Aduji step into the starting lineup just to to handle some of that. He's you know he's not six seven, but he is six five, and he has a little bit more size to him. Um, do you where where would you guys expect to see basically the same starting five that we have seen for Utah State, or do you think that this is one where, because they have had so much time to prep for this, they do a little bit of extra work and they, they bring in even a different starting lineup just to show Boise State a different look and maybe to match up a little bit better? Well, I think you're forgetting how bouncy Ian Martinez yeah. is. I mean, 6'3", <laughs> but that's like, 
I mean, with the the gravity bubble that he has, where it just like gravity doesn't exist around him, he's he's pretty much six nine, and so he he almost has the the advantage there. Um, but I I do think you probably see. Um, I mean, Utah State's probably going to have to match size at some point. I don't know if it's necessarily in the starting lineup. I like the starting lineup that we have, and I and you know, like I, I, I'm joking, but I'm also not really that. I don't know that Ian Martinez is a huge mismatch there. Um, so I do like that starting five, but I do, I, I do think you have to match size at some point. So I'm thinking you probably get more uh, Josh Aduje minutes. I don't know that he starts; he might, but I, you, you got to match size at some point. Um, I don't know if that goes to Templin as much. I he's not bad. There's not a single player on this team that hasn't exceeded expectations. But I think between you know, if you're going big, I think Sacco and and Aduje are probably your your better options that you're going to see uh, a fair amount of minutes from. I think to to try to interfere with that that Boise State size. This specific matchup is, I think, in my mind, the biggest one we have this year for Coach Sprinkle to look like a genius. Um, Or it's going to expose that there might be some weaknesses as far as that. And we'll see. Um, But the reason why is, do we play to size because they're taking advantage of us? Or have we finally got to the point where Isaac Johnson is capable of being the mismatch that we want him to be? And he is more capable on the floor than he is off of it. Um, that That's, I think, where we get to go. And if we watch Johnson gets pulled early, as has been the case in many other of these matchup situations, we know that we're going to be trying to match Boise State. I would love if this got to be the game where we forced the other team to try to make up with us, because uh, this starting lineup for Boise almost has 50% of their play time. Yeah. This is what they do. Right. And yeah. if they can't answer us, we win that game. So it's their starting five against potentially eight of our guys. And I would love us to dictate what that game looks like. Yeah. But I don't know. It's going to, there's yeah. a lot of question marks up in the air over that. I think the X factor here is how susceptible Boise State looked against a 1-3-1 zone against Fresno in their last game. Because all of a sudden, your height differences start to matter a little bit less if we are trying to squeeze them out with speed in a zone-style defense and are forcing turnovers and passing, which is what Fresno was able to do to get back into that game. Yeah, so it, I don't know. It's gonna yeah. be it's gonna be a little interesting. It it is one of those, and we've said this several times now this season. I think we're probably just gonna keep saying it. It's one of those where you really wish you had somebody like Max Polo. One hundred percent. Like boy, that would yeah. be nice. Have him at the tip of the spear. But um, yeah, I, I think that that is something really interesting schematically to keep an eye on. Is that like yeah, they they have struggled against the one three one. They haven't seen it a ton, and uh, frankly, they're not it's not an especially good passing team. The, the, the assist numbers for Boise State are not, I mean, they're not very good. I don't need to really, <laughs> I don't really need to try and make up stats here. They're 267th in assist rate. They're not very good at passing. They don't pass the ball super well um, really across the board. They have good scorers. The offense has, has made do without it, but they're susceptible to that, and I, I do think that if you're doing that, it, it does mitigate some of the size concerns a little bit. It does also, and, and like the the potential of a, a realized or a closer to realized Isaac Johnson is so strong that I, I totally understand 
where Utah State is coming from of just like not really wanting to move off of that, and I, and I don't think that they should long term. You you can see it with him. You can see what it what it could be and what it is in times. I do wonder if maybe this would be the game where they've had they've had a lot of success with four guard lineups. That's mm-hmm. a that's a tough task against a lineup this big. But if you're doing the zone stuff and trying to hunt for turnovers it's a little bit easier to understand in this specific context. And also, I don't know that Omar Stanley or, or Dagan Hurd or even Abo can really keep up if you're doing that. Um, you, you force them into a game state that they're really not comfortable with, which is basically playing any of their bench players. The bench here is not especially strong, um, as as Lance pointed out. It's just, there's just not a lot going on there. Um and so I, I'm curious if we see maybe some of that. It's a it's a risky proposition with the size, but if the zone is working, if you're forcing bad passes, it could come in to you know be pretty effective. The other thing that I think would be really interesting and something that Utah State has done with some success, uh, specifically I think the UNLV game they had some success with this uh, was the one three one with both Sacco and Great Osibar on the floor, and Sacco kind of just standing in the middle of the floor making things difficult on everybody who's trying to move the ball into the paint because um, it's not really it's not really going to go trying to pass into or even really drive into the paint when he's standing there with his you know eight foot arms and things like that it's just yeah. not there's not a lot of room to operate um I would just yeah I, I again I really really like what I have seen at the the peaks for Isaac Johnson, the the lows are pretty low. The lows have been pretty bad. Um, I do wonder, like, I, I think that this could be a game where he plays really well, where the spacing that, that Boise State provides uh, to an offense benefits him, and, and he's able to hit shots against defenders who aren't really coming out on him, uh, at least not as much as they probably should. Um, and there's room for that, but I do wonder if maybe Khalifa Sako is just better for this kind of game, better for this kind of matchup because he yeah. is, he's quicker and he's, he's just more kind of in it defensively, a little bit more aware of where he should be and what he should be doing. And, and also more uh, aggressive and more willing to just take the ball away, which is something that Isaac Johnson has done at times, but has also gotten himself into some trouble with. Yeah. And especially yeah, I... go, go ahead. ahead no, I got no, you. You're good. Okay. So I, okay. Uh, I was gonna say I really like that lineup that you mentioned with uh, with Khalifa Sacco just in the middle and like I here's my here's my um, you, you know I I can't go a show without plugging my beat of, of the women's basketball team I have to so I just I'll get it out of the way here hmm. um, that's one thing I've noticed with the women is like when they run a zone with Gracie Johnson Isaac Johnson's sister um, just in the middle it causes so many problems. And I, I don't know the women's, I don't know that the women's team has figured out how to use that. Their, their record would, would indicate that they haven't, but yeah. when they run that zone, it just causes problems. And it's like, it's an old school basketball truism that we sometimes take for granted. Like how big of a problem it is to just take somebody that's really tall and athletic enough and just put them in the middle like that, that has caused problems forever. And it will continue to cause problems for offenses. Like, it just it just does like in Khalifa Sacco is tall enough, athletic enough that if you just put him in the middle, um, it's gonna cause problems. And then you put a guy like Great Osibor around him who has the athleticism to almost play 
you know, play off of that really, really well. And that I really do like that lineup that, that you mentioned. So I think you're, I mean, you're probably going to see that, or, I mean, Danny Sprinkle's a lot smarter than I am. So if you don't see that, you're seeing something better, but I, I like the idea of that. It sounds nice from my podcast here. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm very interested specifically to watch what happens when we do go man. Cause I think I, it has been proven over and over again this season that soccer is just a freak when it comes to the defensive end of the ball. I think the key here is we have really struggled on ball screen defense when it comes to off ball screens, getting matchups in the post that we don't want to deal with specifically Darius Brown sitting under the hoop with a post player on him dribbling back into him. And unfortunately, Four of their five guys may qualify as that. So the post mismatch, I think, is going to be a huge difference maker in this game, which is, I think, shown, if I remember correctly, that in the matchup between these two, yeah, it is both teams. Utah State has the 280th ranked two-point percentage defense, and Boise State has the 202nd or 232nd ranked two-point percentage defense. So that's where the points are going to be made in this game. And it's going to really be interesting to see which squad is capable of actually stepping up and stopping the other. Yeah. That's uh, a good point. That's big. I have, um, I, I've, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I'm writing approximately 10,000 words about ball screen defense <laughs> right now. And I actually, uh, I, I pulled a few strings. Shout out to friend of the, another friend of the show, Will Warren, Stats by Will, um, who sent along to me uh, data that I would not, uh, frankly, would not pay for because it's like a thousand dollars. He sent me the Synergy Sports ball screen data, which was Amazing. really really helpful. Um, and the stats here for Utah State, uh, I, I have on hand. They are not especially favorable. Um, Utah State thirteenth in like most ball screen possessions faced per game. Pretty much every other stat is in either the 200s or the 300s. They're good against three, which has been a strength of the defense all season. Um, against two-pointers, specifically on ball screens, 308th, uh, 46.7% shooting rate on, on those or, or hit rate on those, um, which is just not good. It's just not – there's no way to – There's it's not good. Um, they've had a lot of trouble – with those post switches or lack thereof of of getting just bad matchups in the paint and not really being able to get off of them um they've also had especially in the the new mexico game uh issues with the the physicality of just getting sealed and not mm-hmm. really being able to defend the layup <laughs> not being able yeah, to my, defend my, the ball my twitter account definitely would point out several times in the season where i go oh their post player just sealed and we got caught on the drive again and yeah. it's, it's been a consistent issue yeah it's uh and it's an issue pretty much no matter what <laughs> defense they call for handling ball screens they've done they've done a little bit of everything and they've had some success and some failure failure with pretty much all of them but the thing that unites them all is that uh if there's a quick enough guard who just wins the the you know the race basically to the hoop there's really not going to be help on the inside because the help on the inside is underneath the basket or you know five yards away from it not doing anything um and i would guess that's probably one of those things that these last 11 days have been pretty focused on is uh hey you're you know 230 pounds or whatever it is you can't do that (laughs) you can't do that you can't let that happen to you you need to be stronger in the paint you need to be a little bit less aggressive trying to deny passes and it's been an issue for pretty much everybody who has been in the paint 
at really any time for Utah State this season. It's just they they've not handled that well, um, and so that's that's a curiosity that is I think a, a point of significant interest in this game is just defending defending ball screens, defending two pointers, defending layups, defending the easy stuff, the shots that are in the lane. Because I really don't think that three point shooting is going to play an especially large role in this game on on either side. Neither one of these teams is especially good at shooting the three. Neither one of them really wants to do it all that much. And Boy, they're both pretty damn good at yes. defending the three. Yeah, we're, yeah. yeah, we're talking about the number <laughs> yeah, seven yeah. and number 15 three-point shooting defenses, respectively, here for Utah State and Boise State. I don't yeah. think it's going to be a huge... I mean... You look at who who even is shooting threes for Boise State and Utah State's in basically the same boat. They have essentially, I think, one good three-point shooter, like legitimately good three-point shooter, Abo, who's 43%, takes 5.6 per game. Um, but beyond that, I mean, Dagenhart has been really, really down this year. He's down below 30%. Max Rice is up at uh, 32.1%. Roddy Anderson's had very little success doing that, and then off the bench, there's just not there's not a, there's not a ton going on. So, if there's going to be points here, if Boise State's going to score, it's going to happen at the rim, which is not the worst thing in the world. But for Utah State, it has been kind of the worst thing in the world. That is not really they've just not done well with that. And I, I think that that finding ways to contest those shots, finding ways to stay in the right position, whether it's with more zone so that they can't really run those ball screens it's it's i mean you can try to run a ball screen against a one three one it's not going to work but you can try it um but trying to avoid those situations and then when you're in those situations just being in better spots and and i think that that's something that uh, is appealing to me with the idea of those those awesome or sacco lineups is that you can send sacco out to defend the screener you can send him out to to do all the hedging and, and all that stuff on the outside and then the low man is great Osabar, and he's bigger than anybody who you know will be on the floor. He's heavier than anybody on the floor. He probably won't get sealed off. He ha- he's he's been better about it than pretty much anybody else. It still happened, but at least you know he's stout and that he can hang physically. And I think that that's that's one of the things that I really like about that potential lineup is that you have a second big who can come out and defend screens without needing to sacrifice great in the process. You don't have to have Josh Aduje or Ian Martinez or Javon Jackson stepping in and trying to defend somebody in the post when they're just not really physically up for that task. It's not really fair to ask them to do that. I'm I'm interested to think if of the guard lineups that we have and will see in this conference, of the Power 5 teams, I think Max Rice is the one that has the skill set that least exploits our weaknesses um it's going to be very interesting it's it's a game of grandma's favorite point guard against an old man yeah uh <laughs> right so I, i'm not quite sure but rice's game is so designed on actually posting himself up and driving in back to the basket and getting ridiculous and weird layups which we haven't yeah. seen yeah. but if there's one kind of penetrating guard that i think our defense has a chance at it's the one who does it slow yeah yeah, yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's totally fair, and you can even kind of say that Utah State has some exposure to a guy like that because it, Mason Falslev is far from slow. He is absolutely not slow, but he has slowed down and likes to do some of that stuff where he just mm-hmm. he'll he'll take his time when he's driving. He'll post up. He'll he'll 
kind of wait for you to make a mistake and then he hits a shot. And given that he has improved with that so much within the actual season, I would think it's probably something that the defense has practiced against quite a bit. I would think that they've probably seen a lot of Mason Falslove just kind of plodding his way in there and uh, making sure that he has both feet on the ground before he does anything because he doesn't want to get yelled at. Um, and so they have <laughs> they have some familiarity with that, at least. And, and Max Rice has been doing it for you know, two decades now and, and has, <laughs> has that, has that <laughs> experience, but it's not, um, it's certainly not the most dangerous way to attack this defense as a ball handler. The most way, the most dangerous way to do it is to be Donovan Dent or Isaiah Stevens yeah. or Jalen house, yeah. where you're just faster than everybody else on the floor. Yeah. I, I can only imagine how many ladders, uh, Mason Falslev had to run early on in the season before <laughs> he just kind of like calmed down a little bit. But. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a fine line between deliberate and slow, right? Like, and, and I, and I think Mike's rice is on the wrong side of that line this year, at least, um, you know, as, as we mentioned earlier in the show, he's not having his best year. And I think when you play that way, it, it, it comes off as slow. And, and I think that's what he's doing this year. I don't think he's been as deadly. We have seen a version of Mac, Max rice that, is a lot more dangerous. And if, and if that guy decides to emerge um, this weekend's a bad time for it. But mm-hmm. uh, as of right now, I, I, I'm not, um, you know, and this isn't much of a statement in the guard, you know, stacked league, but he's, he's not the guard that I'm losing sleep over in the mountain West. That's uh, that's fair to say. I think I'm also very interested. I'm just looking at Boise's schedule. They have not, when was their break? Um, I think it was early on. I, I think it was like one or two games. In, which is not ideal, but they've also only played they're... the six games, so I don't know. Yeah, they they played the 16th, the 20th, the 23rd. They'll play the 27th, and then also the 31st, 3rd, 6th, and 10th. So until oh. they get, I mean, we play them again before they get their next break, how which did, is crazy. How did they? How did they do? Wow. How did they do this? <laughs> how I don't they, know. How did they only play six <laughs> games? It doesn't. It doesn't look like they've had a a buy, unless I'm just missing it. I guess they had a. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know how they managed that, because um, it wasn't even like they had a long layoff between the end of non-conference and the start of conference play. They played on the 29th. Um, huh? That's yeah. I don't know. That's strange. I, I, <laughs> that's that's strange. that. Not wow. to prognosticate too far into the future, but that lends itself very interestingly as far as their stamina level <laughs> uh, for the return trip back to Utah State. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a, that's a good point. I think even just for this game is like, uh, and and Lance, you mentioned it earlier, and I'm glad you did because I wanted to I wanted to talk about that. Um, this team is not very deep, and I'm I'm wondering mm-hmm. what their stamina is going to look like this game, uh, let alone <laughs> when they have to come back to Logan. Um, yeah. I I don't know that they have. You know, Lance mentioned they you know 50 percent of their minutes or more. Um, like that chunk is coming from their starting five. Um, just doing a quick look, it looks like, I mean, at least 50% probably of their points are coming from the starting five as well. Um, with uh, Dagan Hart at 15.1, Ogbo at 14.7, Max Rice is at 11.3. We had a bad year for Max Rice and still averaging 11 points a game is not bad. Yeah. Roddy Anderson, we mentioned, is not doing great with 5.3. That's the lowest of the starters. And then Omar Stanley at 12.8. Um, nobody else. I mean, Cam Martin is coming off the bench at 5.7. He's the only one even remotely close. Everybody else is like three, twos and threes. Um, 
I don't know if that I don't know if that's a stamina or conditioning or just they don't trust their second unit as much. Um, but that is going to be interesting. I think it was Lance that mentioned like if this turns into a into a five on eight game that we're dictating the lineups and we're dictating the tempo and we're dictating the the style of play on both sides of the ball. Uh, man, does that bode well for this Aggie team? Um, I I would say that depth is probably a concern if I'm if I'm Boise State and it hasn't I don't know that it's caught up to them just yet it, it, you know to Lance's point it might um, that's a brutal schedule and then maybe maybe things change uh, in the in the coming weeks that they just don't get a break but um, I'm not impressed with their second unit uh, the way that I think our team is is really deep uh, we have at least three guys coming out off the bench that you you really trust being in a starting lineup and again, that's after losing Max Agbar Polo early in the season. Yeah, and the the bench unit, the majority of it, the guys who you'll actually see is is kind of three deep at this point. You mentioned Cam Martin; he is a good player. I forgot about him. He's good. He's been impressive yeah. for them. Yeah, he's good. Um, very good post creator. Pretty big, six nine, two thirty four. I would guess you'll see a decent amount of him in this game. Um, yeah. Not the best defender in the world, but he doesn't really need to be. He's fine. Their defense is fine. <laughs> they're not. They're not really struggling for that. Uh, but beyond him, it's Andrew Meadow who just kind of comes in and chucks up some threes. Has been his main approach. He's yeah uh, big enough, six seven two eighteen, but doesn't doesn't really move the needle a ton. Um, RJ Keen has been injured and I think is still injured. That's that's a pretty big hit for their for their depth. And then Jace Whiting, who is kind of the perma. Uh, mouse in the house like if you're looking for the fish on defense or offense it's always jace whiting if he's on the floor it's him um he's he's a good three-point shooter that's about all he's good at he doesn't really do a whole lot else turns the ball over almost 35 percent of the time he touches it that's i guess you know a stat that he's leading (laughs) leading probably something in not necessarily the kind of thing you'd want to be leading for but um it's just there's there's really just kind of seven guys and yeah it's it's that that you know would be concerning i think if you're looking at a team that's played now since january 5th uh six games and will be hitting heading into its seventh game without a break just played on tuesday played a probably a closer game than it would have liked to play at fresno state on on the road yeah. on the road yeah. Yeah. yeah um and before that i mean it was colorado state nevada unlv and san diego state it's not there's not really a great break in there and there's not even one after this cuz then they're at new mexico after this game that is a this conference is just a wall and you just keep running yeah. into it over and yeah. over again yeah yeah Man. i was going to say i wouldn't wish that schedule on anyone except for boise state like <laughs> <laughs> but then I, you know i then i realized like Lance said like it's everybody everybody in the conference gets it this is such a tough league um and playing on the road sucks in this league. It's yeah. so hard to do. I'm gonna I'm gonna inflate a little balloon, and we're gonna pop it after we're done talking about the game because I want to discuss that exact thing in a little bit more detail, if that's all right. Yeah, now's not the time. We'll do it at the end of the podcast. But. Yeah. Um. So as for the the rest of this this matchup and uh, the rest of this game, I think that the the weaknesses, the potential places where Utah State can generate an advantage are pretty clear. I think that that specifically, you know. Uh, potentially limiting Rice, if not just outright taking him out of the game. I mean, he's you don't want to do it too much because he's shooting 34% from the field, and if he wants to shoot, he should be allowed to shoot. You can you you'll live with that. Um, but I, I think that there's a there's a pretty distinct advantage in the backcourt in general. Roddy Anderson, we've talked about a couple times, just 
finding a little bit more of a groove, but it's it's been it's been a pretty difficult transition for him up into this level. Just hasn't really been. I mean, he was really good last year at UC San Diego, and he just hasn't really found that quite yet. Um, the other side of this is of is you know the front court, which we were talking about earlier with the regards to the defense, but. In general, the front court is strong. The front court here is really, really strong. The top three is hard to deal with. You've got guys all up, you know, Stanley is the lowest scoring of the bunch, and he's at 12.8. And they're all up over five rebounds a game. They're all capable passers, which is not something you see a ton when you're talking about a, a front court that, that's that's this strong rebounding, defending, and scoring. Um, it's a really, really good top three. It has won them several games in the Mountain West already. It won them the San Diego State game. It won them the Nevada game, the Colorado State game. I mean, that is what they lean on in these biggest games. And I, I do think that there's some just kind of damage control you have to do there with Utah State because uh, as we've seen for this team in, in some other matchups with just strong units specifically, uh, Colorado State shooting, New Mexico's guards. Um, there are a couple other ones that I'm probably forgetting. UNLV's uh, spunk effort level, I guess. <laughs> Apparently rebounding. Uh, I, we, we, nah, I think we can just label that as eccentricity. Yeah, UNLV's eccentricity. ability to never be consistent in anything <laughs> they do on both ends of the spectrum. Yeah, so the, we've yeah, seen we've seen Utah State have to kind of just work around something that it knows it's not going to be it's not going to be able to fully stop before. I guess UNLV's scoring and, and shot-making was kind of the thing in that game, beyond just its its strangeness. Um, here, I think the thing that you're definitely just trying to limit the damage done is with the front court. I, do, I don't imagine that Utah State will be able to uh, dominate or really even like comfortably win the the battle here. I just don't know if it has the, the, the size for it. I think Great can probably handle his you know, handle his business and, and hold his own. He's done it before and has handled you know, centers or, or forwards at least this good defensively and I would have guessed that this is I think he's probably gonna be fine. Um but the other ones I, I think it's more about forcing them into things that they're not <laughs> dominant at less than than stopping the things that they're really good at and, and for Omar Stanley specifically, the thing that he's not dominant at is that he fouls too much. 5.2 per 40 minutes. He really only plays yep. about 24 minutes a game. That sounds like a matchup problem <laughs> if you're if you're looking for matchup problems. I, I, I think that Great Osabar's offense against a guy who fouls too much has rarely been a favorable matchup for opponents of Utah State this season. That would be one that I think very, very early on you want to go to if you're Utah State because the longer that guy is in the game, the worse it is. It's my it's my hidden key to this game, which is right now Stanley and Dagenhart uh, are I think both in the top three hundred ish when it comes to fouls drawn per forty minutes. Uh, Osibor's twenty first. Yeah. Um, and in conference play, uh, let's got a couple of our players up. Osibor is second, right? So if this game comes down to their starting five against our starting eight, and we can start piling up fouls on one or two members of their starting five. That's, in my opinion, our win condition is if we can force them deep into their bench because of foul trouble, this game gets a whole lot easier. I agree with that, but I I just would never bet against a max or a, not max um, 
uh, Leon Rice team and and the referees, his <laughs> ability <home>. to yes. <laughs> his ability to manipulate the referees. I heard once, I don't know, I, I can't remember who I heard this from or if it's true, but if you watch uh, if you watch the games, it it seems clear that at least anecdotally it looks true is that he's kind of told his players and his coaches not to talk to, to the refs because he knows he's so good at it. Um, and he kind of has like, he will, he, he often has his assistants will be running, uh, running a huddle more often than you see other, you know, players, uh, other coaches do this and he'll just be badgering the ref all, <laughs> all the time. Um, and if, if you watch that, you will, he will rarely run his own huddles. It feels like he almost has like an offensive and a defensive coordinator, and then they run the huddles, and he's just talking to the refs in between uh, in, in in between ga- action. Um, I, I that's it's a good thought, but I just wouldn't put my money against oh, Leon. I, I, Leon is the silver tongue man. He's he's got a silver tongue. I'll, I'll be clear. Do I think that will happen? No. Do I think it is the easiest path for Utah State to victory, and especially on a return game in the Spectrum when we're not playing there? Yeah. I think that that changes things a little bit. Um, no, it, it it is a huge X factor. I think I, yeah. it it does. Uh, I'll I'll say this: there's no way the refs aren't at least relevant in this game. Yep. Uh, coming down the stretch because it's not going to be a blowout, um, and you you just kind of hope it's one of those where the refs don't make it about themselves. I think there's a there's a widespread complaint that Mountain West uh, referees do that, but um, this game is gonna be close, and you're probably gonna see uh, that's gonna be a factor uh, going to the line will be a factor. The um this this is not just us talking about this either. This is actually backed up by the the Ken Palm home court advantage uh, estimation numbers, which mm-hmm. has stats like average stuff per game of of the difference between your home and away games. Uh, <laughs> for personal fouls, uh, Boise State. The rest of the stats are are relatively kind of mid level. They're eighty third in uh, in overall home court advantage. Uh largely because of the advantage that they have for personal fouls. They're twenty eighth. The home court advantage is worth uh roughly four point two personal fouls per game for Boise State. This is not wow, this is not just us making this up. That's a real this is a real thing. This is an actual <laughs> thing you have to contend with is that wow. you're, you're gonna you're gonna have to overcome the, the fact that they just don't really get called for that many fouls at home. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. You see, you wait four and a half personal fouls or four and a half points. Uh, four point two personal fouls per game, which is it, oh, it's so it's th- listed that... as twenty eighth. It's actually tied for somewhere right around the top we, twenty. Do, and I, you have no reason to know this. Is that fouls that should have been called that weren't, or is that just fouls called on the other team? Does that make sense? So is it negative for my team and positive for the other team? Or is it calls specifically that go toward Boise? I think that it is a. I think it's a margin thing. I, I think Got it's it. the difference oh, okay. in in average foul margin between their home and away games. Um, or four fouls is no joke. I mean, that could yeah, equal four fouls, to eight points. Yeah, four fouls would foul two of their starters out potentially. Yeah. Yeah, that is a um, yeah. that's especially yeah when you have seven players, four fouls is a is a pretty big difference. That's <laughs> a wow, pretty significant crazy. gap. That is a big difference. Yeah, and um, that's that's over several of, years. That's not just this season, but it's yeah, it's it's long. I'm sure that's consistent. Yeah. Um, speaking of Leon Rice, I just noticed this, and so now you two and all of our listeners have to join in my suffering. Um, <laughs> I think I knew this, and I just barely uh, saw it again as I was looking at the bench numbers for this team. There's another Rice kid. Yeah. There's another one. Cade <laughs> Rice is a freshman. We have to endure. It feels like Max has been here for like 50 years, 
we have to endure another half century of the Rice <laughs> brothers on this team, apparently. And so I I noticed that I had to call it out. That's that's something right there. I, that's I, something. I think there might be a third. I don't remember. I'm oh. checking the roster now. I think that I think that two might not even be the full. I think there might be a third one on the team. There's a lot of rices out there. Uh. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> apparently there are. Because Max Max Rice is a senior. He's a fifth fifth year. Senior. He's a sixth year senior. He's not just sixth, a sixth year. I, I think yeah. he took oh the COVID gosh. year as well. Yeah. Well, I'd love yeah, to tell you what it right. says on their roster, but I'm getting a 502 bad gateway. Good website they've got over there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's wonderful. It's <laughs> uh, the only, wonderful. basically the only one in the Mountain West that uses a different back end than everybody else. Really good. Um, yeah. It, oh, I just I went to their website and it's not working for it me just either. Down? It's terrible. The website's <laughs> just down. Well, it's just a giant Facebook logo. Oh, and then, that's good. Um, I'm getting a giant Facebook logo, and then like the the blue and orange Bronco. There's nice. nothing uglier that could be on my screen right now, <laughs> so I'm going to close that. That's good. May, may their internet prowess show up on the basketball court on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the yeah, this, no kidding. this is a tangent, but I think it's one that you guys will appreciate. The two websites that I have encountered, the team websites I have encountered that have been the most personally annoying to me for like they're hard to negotiate with. They have like their own specific things set up that's way worse than what everybody just the default uh, would be Boise State and of course BYU. These are the two schools that have their own oh, special the setups that who don't work. Would at be all. sullied by associating <laughs> with the code written for other institutions. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty good. That's so funny. That that okay. So that actually brings me to to a quick point. Um, well, let, let's first, do we, do we have anything else on this, uh, matchup? I, I, I do actually, because we have highlighted okay. a lot of what we need to do to counter their offensive push with our defense. Okay. I want to know that what first. we're capable of doing, what are our offensive strengths and what are we going to be able to do against what, right? Because we technically could run a lineup that is larger than they are. And we have a lot of speed that I think that they may not be able to counter straight but they do have a lot of length on us. So we've talked a lot about how we can stop them from scoring. What are we going to be doing as far as efficiency goes to be able to put points on the board? So something that's interesting to me about this and something you wouldn't really expect from the, the size of the team, uh, Boise State doesn't block shots like at all. They're 320th in defensive block rate, um, which suggests really two immediate ideas to me. Uh, both of which are just names of players that would be Great Osibor and Mason Falslev. This feels like a game for Great Osibor and Mason Falslev. Osibor for you know obviously scoring on the inside, but also potentially trying to play to that foul issue stuff that we've talked about with Stanley. Uh, Falslev with what like what we talked about with Rice's offense. I think Mason Falslev can probably beat Max Rice off the ball, and I would guess that Max Rice is going to be the yeah, guy largely responsible for guarding him. Um, Obviously, you'd love to get some threes from me and Martinez. That would be great. That's always kind of the approach that you take with that. You'd love to get some threes from Isaac Johnson. It would be nice. Um, but I, I think it's probably Foslev, Osibor, and then I would I would think, you know, his, his offense has been a little bit quiet recently um, and kind of goes through spots where it's up, spots where it's down, just depending on what the team needs. Um, it would be a really good time for Darius Brown to play on the front foot against a point guard who I think he's just better than. I, I, I don't I really don't think that that him and Roddy Anderson are at this point in their careers in the same league. And and that's not 
to put down Roddy Anderson. He's a true sophomore, and Darius Brown's been in college forever. Darius Brown is a trained, true point guard. Roddy Anderson is learning the ropes of a new program and a new school and a new system. Um, it would be a really good time for Darius Brown to just beat him off the ball sometimes and yep. to set up those looks for great for Mason, but also just to take it to the hoop and finish because he's he's good. He's good at the hoop. He can score. It's not it's not like a concern. Um, I, I think that's going to be the big thing is the, the, the best dribble drive penetrators on the team doing that. And then great taking advantage when he gets inside and not just waiting to try and get fouled, just go up and dunk. You don't need to, it doesn't need to be a whole thing. It doesn't need to, it does, you don't have to play it all up. Just dunk, just put it all, just put the ball in the hoop. And I think that that's something that like Danny Sprinkle has talked about specifically in media availabilities is that uh, guys, especially in the New Mexico game, were just kind of waiting around, waiting for somebody to arrive so that they could try to get fouled um, and telling them not to do that. Like just score. And the two points is better than potentially two points at the free throw line. We'll just take the two points because they're too good to just give up those those spots and get blocked um I would guess that's going to be a key here as well even against a team that doesn't block the you know block the shots especially well just go up and try to score and if you get fouled great but it's not the end of the world I would agree with that I I would add one thing that you you kind of briefly mentioned Patrick and that's uh getting getting some three-pointers from uh um from Ian Martinez um we we've talked about how Utah State isn't a good three-point shooting team and I think the numbers are are there to back that up but I'm not convinced I'm, I'm not totally convinced on that yet I think that they could be I think they're not yet and I think that that kind of lives and dies with Ian, uh, with Ian Martinez um, he's been shooting a lot more and a lot better lately in his first five games so he didn't play game one he didn't have his waiver yet and then the following five games he took only 11 shots and in those in those games, he wasn't good. In his past three games, he's taken seventeen three. Uh, so those are three pointers. So he took eleven in his first five, in his first five games, the first six for the team. In his last three, he's shot eighteen. In those games, he was six of eight, three of four, two of five. Yeah. Um, so he's it, shooting sixty two point five percent in conference from three. <laughs> yeah, since the Air Force. He's game. seriously like he's he's come a long way in that Air Force game. He was one of one, and then. Yeah, he's had multiple games over over fifty percent with like high volume shooting. Eight eight yeah. threes is high volume, and to hit six of them, uh, I mean that's not like that, that's a serious seventy five percent. Three of four is not bad, but like six of eight, uh, he did three of four of the next game against uh, New Mexico. Uh, he's he's really really good. So I'm not convinced. I think a lot of the stats showing that Utah State isn't a good three point three point shooting team. Um, are kind of are, are being pulled down by early in the season. You didn't mm-hmm. see a lot of Ian Martinez. If Ian Martinez continues this, I mean, what he's doing in conference play is superhuman. Um, he, he had really one great shooting night against Santa Clara. He was four of seven. The rest were, were kind of lackluster. He was one of five a couple times that I can see uh, before the conference started. But so, so that that's one thing. It might not be this game. It might not be against Boise, but I think at some point you're going to see those stats kind of shift. I think this, this, team is a better three-point shooting team Ian Martinez already leads the team in three-pointers made but still does not lead the team in three points attempted that still is Darius Brown um as Ian Martinez continues to shoot I think this team gets probably a little bit better from deep and that probably gets uh that's going to play a factor I think I might be wrong the numbers tell me I'm wrong but I'm not convinced this this team can't shoot yet yeah that's 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 my big one for 
how we do this is because Ian Martinez making those shots keeps Osibor in one-on-one coverage. Yeah. Right. And yeah. if we can keep him there back to the, or front to the basket with only one guy on him, we get the advantage here. And here's, here's the crazy thing with Martinez. Martinez right now leads the conference in effective field goal percentage. He is 24th in the conference in assist rate. He is seventh in the conference in block rate. <laughs> Yeah, and he's pretty good. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, six, I should be surprised because those numbers six, are absurd, but I've watched him play, so I'm not as shocked a 6'3 guard. He yeah. is he yeah. has a block percentage that is higher than most players have. Like, I mean, there is he is higher than players on entire teams, yeah, right? Wow. He might yeah. be that's really good. He might yeah. be above any player on this team, he might be above any player on oh, Boise he, State. Yeah, I, 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 I can't imagine. I, it's not I'm sure he is. The conference sure he yeah, is. maybe, maybe front, Omar right? Stanley. He's at 1.2 blocks per game. I don't know what his rate is. He's the only one though that would be even close to that. Yeah, um, it's, he is a he is a sneaky defender, and yeah. if he can if he can work in ISO and as a distributor, um, which we know he's taken pride in recently with his yeah. uh, career high assist rate against uh, in the last game. Um, if 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 he can facilitate and make shots from outside, I think we have a shot of scoring more points than Boise State does. Yeah, this is also like I'll I'll add, and this is one of those things that is not like I don't know what the uh, there's a there's a science term that you would use for this, and I don't know what it is, but um, where like the 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 data says something, but to take it as meaning that would be silly, would not be actually accurate. I don't remember what the term is, but. Um, the data would suggest that Ian Martinez is, for whatever reason, a significantly better player on the road than he is at home. Um, which is like, there's, there's, it's just one of those things. Sometimes the, the shots can be the exact same. The looks can be the exact same and they just fall some games and they don't in others. And the sample size is probably not large enough to gauge that he is actually legitimately twice as good on the road as he is at home, which is basically what the stats say. But you do have to, with with sports, with basketball, take into account some of the things that can't really actually be measured, things that are just like people things, things about a a player, a person that makes him specifically good or bad at one specific thing. Um, I think that if ever there was a game for Ian Martinez to play the villain, it would be this one. <laughs> it would be it would be a road game at Boise State dealing with everything that comes with a road game at Boise State. That sounds like the exact kind of game that Ian Martinez loves to score thirty points in. That that is like you could not draw it up any better for him than like oh, you're getting booed by a student section filled with 40-year-old men. Like, he would love to <laughs> score 30 points with those guys booing him. Like, that's that's yeah. his whole thing. That's that's the Ian Martinez experience is that he wants to be the villain. He wants to be the guy who scores a bunch of points on the road. So one of my fun Martinez stories from this year is we went to the Air Force game and we're doing a heavy amount of heckling in an empty arena, <laughs> which is always a, a joy to do as a visiting fan. Uh, and as my small contingency of Aggie fans were making a raucous amount of noise on their free throws, every single time they'd miss, I'd watch Martinez give a little bit of a hand check, just like, yeah, okay, <laughs> just a small gesture. No one's watching out for it. But there is definitely some of that, I think, in his attitude of of loving to prove people wrong in their space. I, I think that's, yeah, I, the, the numbers say 
you know, you can believe the numbers all you want, or you can, you can ignore them with the small sample size. But I think there is something about his attitude that he, he likes to walk into your living room and just, you know, trash your place. He, he loves to do that. He likes to do it in the like the meanest way too, where he'll score twenty four yeah. points and he'll score eighteen of them in like I, five minutes. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll remind yeah. you, and then I'll he'll remind, smile. Yeah, and then he'll windmill dunk down eight <laughs> points. <laughs> like we've got evidence here. Yeah, yeah I, that, I, that I, has I, happened before. I, I I think that the uh, the 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 generation that I am just excluded from, that I am just a little bit too old to feel comfortable in, would would refer to that as like the dog metric. the The amount of dog that a guy has is high <laughs> yeah. with Ian Martinez. Yeah, I think that's what you. Yeah, you, his, his dog content is off the charts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The 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 dog rate very high with him. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I think that that is something like that's one of those things. Just just not really measurable but worth noting is that Ian Martinez pretty much every single time Utah State has been in a spot like this even in the the loss at New Mexico Ian Martinez usually gets his points on the road and he he does it in in kind of the 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 nastiest way possible for a team that's trying to deal with him where he will just he'll see one three go in when Utah State really needs a three to go in and then he'll see five more threes go in on the next yeah. five possessions he just he he's a he's a microwave. Um well, and it's I, I think it's representative of what this team is capable of becoming offensively because you've got one of the best distributors in the nation in Brown. You've got one of the best post ISO players in the nation in Osabor, and you potentially now have a distributing shooting guard who is capable of taking people off the dribble. And when you have all three of those things firing and also Mason Falslev. Like, I just don't know where a defense is supposed to focus their attention. I, I was going to note with Falslev, it, it, he is like, it's it's not, at this point, the, the season has gone on long enough that we can just say that this is true. Like, it's it's just a part of his game. He is like one of the best two-point shooters in America. He's, it's not, he's yeah. like 70%. He's going to, if he stays on this pace, which there's no real reason to think he won't at this point. I think he would finish with one of the greatest like guard two point shooting seasons in Utah State history. I think he's on pace to have the greatest in in Utah State history. It it will um, it will be my favorite stat for the season. I think yeah is that great Osibor is our third best shooter from two. <laughs> who's that's, who's that's second? Ian, Ian Ian Martinez. Okay, all right. And so Osibor is at fifty nine point nine percent. Martinez is at sixty two point four, and False lives at sixty seven point seven. That is hefty. That is that is, steep, that is hefty. That is a steep shooting percentage. And I, with yeah. with Martinez, it's especially good because you have the added context of watching him play, which is knowing that most of those shots are from like one foot inside of the three point line. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Just not, or, the, or yeah, a not a problem. Dunk. Yeah, or a windmill dunk. Yeah, it's never the degree of difficulty always going to be pretty high with Ian Martinez, just because that seems to be how he how he prefers it. He doesn't he doesn't yeah. really like the easy shots. That's not his business. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I I would I would say that's that's probably the the path for Utah State, right? I I think it's that Ian Martinez plays like he usually does in this kind of game. Um, you get good performances from the you know the 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 Mason Darius, maybe some from Josh, maybe some. I don't know how much Javon Jackson plays in this game, but you get you get good contributions from the rest of the guards. Maybe you know not amazing contributions, but Mason up around his average, just just up around the average. I think would be fine as long as Ian has his usual road game. And then in the post, it's that great is 
who he is and, and is able to establish himself as the best big on the floor, really the best player on the floor, and is somebody who, even if Ian is hitting shots, even if Mason is winning off the dribble and getting good looks at the basket, even if Darius is winning off the dribble, you still kind of have to give two guys to defend great just because one is not... One is either not doing it, or the one who was doing it is on the sidelines, and he can't go back in because he'll foul out. Um, I, I I think offensively that's that's the key, and then defensively it's it's a really a matter of everything that we talked about of creating favorable matchups size wise, finding ways to work around the size disadvantages that are inherent to these starting lineups, and I think probably creating turnovers, uh, jumping passing lanes against a not very good passing team, and turning those into easy baskets in a place where this is a really good Boise State defense. I know everything we've talked about has been, you know, oh, these are the ways that Utah State can can score and, and probably will be able to score at least some of those. This is a really good defense. If you can get a couple just runaways where they're not, nobody's there to defend you and it doesn't matter how good their defense is, that can be the difference in what should be probably a really tight game. Yeah, I'm just nervous, honestly, <laughs> because I I we come up against it again, and I think this is going to be really relevatory to the trajectory for the rest of the season. Um, and I'm going to pop my little thought balloon because I think it's a good time to address it now. Yeah. Um, that Utah State will have played four of our five road games against the five top opponents by the end of next week. No, I think San Diego State will also have played four of their five. But Boise State still has three. Colorado State still has two. New Mexico has four. And Sandy uh, and Nevada has three. So if we are capable of coming into this game, this is the most winnable of our road games, and we can take this, we set ourselves up for a trajectory through the end of the season, watching many of the other teams in conference have significantly more difficult schedules, specifically with road games as compared to us for the rest of the season. So this feel it's a it's a big game. Um, and I know that Sprinkles got a lot of i mean this they have to have the awareness of what this can possibly mean yeah i yeah. mean this is one well that that road oh go ahead go ahead i was i was just i was just gonna add like this is kind of the the <laughs> the idea that we're all sort of dancing around but I, I think is probably worth just saying because it is at this point as weird as it is to say probably just true if utah state can find a way to win this one and just take care of business down the stretch just win its home games and you know, win the the road games against teams you should win road games against. It probably wins the Mountain West. It, yep. it probably that that's that's the inside track. It's right. It's right there. If yeah. you win the game, I yeah. think you have the inside track more than <laughs> more than anybody else. Even if at the end of the year it seems like I don't know, maybe San Diego State is rounded into form and is the best team in the conference. Maybe Colorado State has found its rhythm. Maybe New Mexico manages to. Um, extend its its home prowess on the road, which it's not going to do. They're not going to do that. They don't do that. It's not that's not part of the thing at New Mexico. Um, I'm not really all <laughs> yeah. that worried about that. I'm going to guess that they're probably going to win all of their home games and then lose some stupid ones on the road because it's a New Mexico yeah. basketball team. Yep. Um, like it, it doesn't that wouldn't matter because Utah State the the schedule breaks out in a way where. Yeah, you've already gotten most of these out of the way. You've already gotten most. You've you've even played at UNLV. It's not. It's done now. You don't have to do that again. Uh, you don't even have to play those guys again. And it, it would be. I mean, the 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 losses left on the schedule would basically be. I mean, like likely losses, probable losses, 
would be the road games. It would be San Diego State and it would be Colorado State. Outside of that, you either play really good teams at home or you play bad teams on the road. That's, I mean, yep. that would be, that would be and, what, 15-3? and three? That wins the conference. This season, that wins the conference. Absolutely, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and right. and I was going to say one thing about, like, that that road, playing on the road here, that aspect of this is not, that is not a small deal. And I, I think that's something that, that kind of goes without saying at this point. And we don't have to get too in, in depth on that um, just because it's, it's kind of, it's, it's just there no matter, no matter what else we're talking about. The fact that this game is in Boise is relevant. And that, that's kind of just like the underlying thing with all of this is like playing on the road is in this conference is tough. Um, playing in Boise is, is harder, I think, than a lot of fans might, might think, um, we, we often don't think of them as one of the teams with a really, really tough court to play on. We, you know, we, I think we respect the pit for what it is. We respect Viejas for what it is. Um, Utah state has lost their last five games in Boise and their last eight of 10, eight of the last 10. Um, and some of them have been weird. And some of them have been, well, yeah, that's a, yeah, a weird or painful, like yeah. however you want to say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of them have, yeah, they have been really weird, but they, Boise just finds a way to win on their home court. The opposite of that is Utah State does the same thing. Uh, overall, we are 20 and four at home against these guys. They almost never beat us in Logan, um, but it's really, really hard to beat these guys at home. I think the Leon Rice referee thing we mentioned earlier is is part of it, but there's just, that's just one of those intangibles that you have to factor in, in this conference, like playing at the extra mile is, is really hard and probably harder than you think. I'm not sure that there's a easy place to play. I mean, in this conference, I mean, yeah. San Jose and air force are probably the two that and, and air force, that, you know, has one of the best over. records, like yeah. air force's home court <laughs> is the most advantageous, I think potentially in the conference, according to Ken Palm, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's really a tough league. And, and that's something that you just can't ignore that. I mean, we, the yep. better, better teams than this Utah state team have lost road games to other teams in this conference and, and better teams than this Utah state team have lost in Boise. Like that's yeah, just, in, in, it is in, what it is. San Diego state less than two weeks ago. You know, yeah. it's, it is, they're capable of beating teams at home. We've got to be five points better than that team to even just compete. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's one of those places where like, and I think air force has this going as well as San Jose state to some extent. It is not just that like it's loud. It, it is. It's not as loud as they, I think say that it <laughs> say that it yeah. is. I'm not yeah. quite. I'm not quite as sold on the company line as the the Boise State media seems to be on how loud it is. It's not that loud. Um, I've heard louder, but it, it is. <laughs> it's a weird arena. It's a really, really weird place to so play basketball weird. because they have, unlike I don't know if there's another. I mean, there are other teams in this league that have people in courtside seats. I don't know that there's another one that is like it is at Boise State where. It's almost like playing a like like a conference tournament game where the only people on the court are the courtside seats, and then the rest of the arena is like it's like it's built for <laughs> like like monster truck derby or something like that, yeah. where the stands are kind it's of so weird. kind of away from the court. There's like a space between both sides of like like the sidelines from where the stands actually start. 
Um, it, it, it is not, it doesn't really feel like it was built for basketball. And so it, it's just kind of jarring. It's a, it's a strange place to play. And I, I do think that it has helped. It helps Utah state that like, you know, this year they've played other road games in conference play. They've played three road games in conference play. Um, last year when they went to Boise state, they looked very much like a team that had not played a road game in the conference before and they got smacked. And I think it was probably because they had not played a road game in the conference before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They looked like what they were. And so this team at least does have that experience, but there's nothing that really prepares you for playing in that place because it's just a weird arena. It's just different than really any other one that you're going to play in. Boise state cannot build a normal (laughs) sports venue. They cannot do it. They always have to have some weird gimmick and then they, they sell their fans on it and they pretend to love it. Like, yeah, it's weird. It it is a weird arena. And terrible websites. (laughs) Apparently so. Yeah. yeah, Bad websites and worse venues uh, is, is what they're about, man. Like it's, it is weird. If you look at it, it it looks like a March madness thing where it's like clearly on, the court is clearly too small for the floor space, and yeah. they just didn't know what to do. Yeah, so they, they, just, they, like, they built it in a baseball it. stadium. And we're like, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. going to play basketball here now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's weird. It's not even just on the sidelines. I was misremembering. It's all the way around the court. The entire court is separated off from where yeah, the, it's, the it's bleachers actually are. It's fully all the way around. That's well, and it, it, really it messes odd. with your shooting angles. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like when you are trying to focus with something behind, and all of a sudden there's nothing there, it, it can mess with things. Yeah, yeah it's that's. Weird. I think that is probably anyway. probably a part of it as well with the the success that they have had there, um, which is yeah worth worth mentioning. It is a hard place to win. It's a really hard place to yeah. win. Um, yeah, I uh, yeah I I think that's probably the path for Utah State. I think that it it really could go either way. I think it's going to depend on you know the level of performance you get from stars, uh, the stars who of of you know who we have talked through at length, and just some of the role players making key plays, stepping up in key spots, being in the right place defensively, handling themselves well defensively. Uh, maybe Isaac Johnson stepping in, hitting a couple threes, getting a steal or two yeah. defensively, not picking up four fouls in 10 minutes or something like that. Um, just, just it's, it's a margins game. It's, it's, it's absolutely a margins game. I really do think it could go either way. I think that if ever, like we've, we've kind of talked about and, and alluded to, if ever, there was a time to do it. It is with this setup for Utah State where it has played yep. once in 11 days and comes off the bye week and could get the full scout in and, and understand the, the gravity of the game. Nobody's going to be caught by surprise that it is a big game. I think that it has been probably pretty pretty well hammered home at this point that it is a big yeah. game for Utah State, and I would imagine that the preparation has been according to that um if ever there was a time to do it this would be it it's still hard to do though it it really could go either way i think yeah i i would that's a good way to sum it up it's yeah i agree with that i I think both teams functioning at their best have many opportunities to say we are better at this specific thing than that team but they also have weaknesses that the other team is going to be able to exploit and i know that's a very basic statement but like i don't know on this one I have no clue, and it's going to be very stressful and also fun to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is very much that that big time marquee matchup in the way that like the Colorado State game was, and it's it's just like I started the show with. It's wild that Utah State has already played in several of these games this season, and if it wins this one, and even if it doesn't win this one, we'll play in several more of these games this season. It's it's a testament to the quality of the Mountain West this season, and also to the quality of Utah State that it can be 
considered, you know, an equal part in, in that kind of game and that kind of marquee matchup that like when San Diego State comes to town in February, currently Utah State's favored on Ken Palm um, or New Mexico at the end of the season at home. Still same thing, favored on Ken Palm. Like the the split for this game on Ken Palm is one point. It's a 45% win probability. I think that that's... And that's with their... Yeah high ranked home court advantage yeah yeah there's a 20 big. there's for for a for a, a thing that speaks to the difference in playing where you're playing if it's a road or home game in this conference there's a 23 point uh percentage difference in win probability for utah wow. State, uh between its two games against That's... boise state 45 percent and 68 percent you go from uh basically a toss-up to you know lean win close to likely win uh depending on yeah. where the game is being played it's crazy. That's the Mountain West, though, this yeah. year, I think. That's the Mountain That's the Mountain West every year. That's, that's <laughs> that yep, seems that's, to be the deal. That's um, well, I will, uh, unless you guys have anything anything else, uh, I will, uh, I'll close this out here. Any any closing thoughts from you, Toe? I mean, oh, that does it. That does it for me. Cool. I, I've got, if we want to part, put the cart way ahead of the horse right now, okay. we can, I have something. Okay. Um, Matchups for the NCAA tournament this year. Okay, yeah. <laughs> the highest seeding Utah State has ever received is an eight seed, mm. which was in 2019. We have never had above a double-digit lead or a double-digit seed any other time in our program history since 1979 when they started the seeding that we made it the first time. Okay, We are currently projected on bracket matrix as a six seed with our lowest bracket that's prognosticating as a double digit 10 seed yeah here's where things get real interesting which is the four five matchups which both have to play in the same city because they match up in the second round are brooklyn new york two in spokane and salt lake city utah yeah it is not beyond the realm of possibility <laughs> that if utah state can handle business through the rest of the season we watch the highest seeded Utah State team in program history playing in front of a home crowd in Salt Lake. Man, I think Utah State would be pretty in favor of that. I think that, and, I think that would be good. Yeah, yeah. They, and they might, there's, uh, they might like there's, that. there's no way they take a five seed Utah State and put us in Brooklyn. Yeah. So if we can maintain, and I think the strength of the Mountain West Conference continues to say that the group resume is high. We're not just playing for, will we get into the tournament? We're playing for, do we get to see the spectrum on wheels in Spokane, Washington, or in Salt Lake City, Utah, yeah. which is an absolutely insane statement to make given where this team was, I don't know, nine months ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, wild times. <laughs> wild times in Logan. Yeah. And uh, could get a whole lot wilder. I think that the the, the noise could get a lot louder depending on how things break out on Saturday. Uh, we will uh, we will leave it there for now with the the uh, the, the thoughts of, of of grandeur floating around your mind of what could be <laughs> if Utah State manages to find a way to win on Saturday. Um, we will uh, we will be back to talk about that game and, and whatever else goes on in the world of uh, Utah State athletics. Uh, Lance, thank you again so much for uh, for joining us here. This was a blast. Absolutely. We have been uh, we've been meaning to get Lance on, and, and this seemed like a, a good time to do it. Um, so uh, we will uh, we will be back to to talk all thing all things Aggies um, soon. Don't know exactly when, but soon we'll talk to you all then.